Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host Ben Davison and it is Sunday the 3rd of December and I hope wherever you are around Australia or indeed around the world you're having a wonderful wonderful time if you're listening to this on Sunday or at some point later in the week. Of course regular listeners of the week on Wednesday will know that Van and I had Wednesday off to celebrate our anniversary and Van's birthday. Thank you for all the well wishes we received but it doesn't mean that the news stopped. In fact, it was a massive week in news this week. It was the last parliamentary sitting week of the year 2023, and a huge amount happened. Now, if you watched Insiders or listened to any form of mainstream media, you'd be excused for thinking that the only thing that's going on involves a certain number of now released into the community uh, asylum seekers. Now, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of this too much because, quite frankly, I think the whole thing has been well and truly overblown. The Labor government has been trying to clean up the mess of Peter Dutton and his government, which created an unlawful and illegal system of continuous ongoing detention that the High Court has decided is against the law. Labor has tried to fix this. Dutton has stood in the way at every opportunity. And then, of course, there's been the backwards and forwards in Parliament. Now, if you watched Insiders, as I did not, however, having seen some of the clips, you would think that this was the number one issue on Australian minds. And maybe there are some elements of the mainstream media who want to make it that way. If you read Catherine Murphy's piece in The Guardian yesterday, you would understand why. What do I mean by that? Well, Catherine Murphy writes that the Albanese government has actually been getting on with the business of governing. As he said on Neil Mitchell on Friday, he wants to govern and he would like the opposition to come along on that journey with him. However, they are much more interested in playing these sorts of games. And quite frankly, you can see why. The attention span of the ordinary voter seems to have dwindled down to what they consume on TikTok. However, so much was done this week in Parliament. A parental leave was extended. There was the apology to the victims of formaldehyde. Senator Patrick Dodson, the father of reconciliation, announced his retirement while he is, of course, battling cancer. We wish Patrick Dodson very, very well. The closing loopholes bill passed the House of Representatives and is now off to the Senate. This is a bill that is worth $9 billion in wages for labour hire workers, casual workers, and gig economy workers, and yet barely rates a mention. The Greens and the Coalition teamed up in the Senate to block Labor's shared home equity program. This was a program promised at the election, passed by the House of Representatives, and now, of course, has been blocked by the Greens and the Conservatives. These things are barely rating a mention in so much of the mainstream media. Why? Because they are the nuts and bolts of governing. They are about having a government that functions rather than grandstands, rather than tries to distract. And that's what the Albanese Labor government is doing. And a very good example, perhaps the classic current example, is the review of employment services in this country. Now, if you haven't read Van Batham's article, my wife, I declare the bias straight up, 
has written an amazing piece in The Guardian today about why the employment services system has been fundamentally broken. Anyone who has been unemployed at any time in the last 30 years will know this, that it is not a system designed to help people get into work. And in fact, Julian Hill, who is the Labor chair of the inquiry into this system, made this point exactly, that this is not an employment services system. It is a payments management system. That's what it has become. 70%, 70% of people in the system have had their payments suspended at some point during a face-to-face discussion. That is unbelievably high, unnecessarily high. Now, what does it mean? How does it come about? Why are we in the situation we're in? Well, as someone whose mum once worked for the Commonwealth Employment Service, the CES, as it was known then, before being uh, redeployed to Centrelink once the CES was privatised. This has come about because of the Howard government's obsession with neoliberal Friedmanite ideology, that somehow or another the market would simply solve all the problems of the world. And the more competitive, the more competition you instilled into the market, the more uh, outcomes, the better outcomes would be. This report makes very clear that that's simply not the case. And if you've been to any regional centre in Australia, you can go to Ballarat, for example, where I'm from, you will find employment service providers on almost every street corner, and yet still somehow or another, there are labour shortages. There are hundreds of thousands of Australians who want work, who are desperately looking for work, and yet somehow or another, these employment service providers are not placing them into employment. One of the organisations I'm involved with does place people into employment, does work with employers to put apprentices and trainees into jobs. And I can tell you every single week, every single week, we have dozens of roles and yet no employment service providers are working collaboratively with the TAFE, with us, with anyone really, they are simply going through the motions, ticking the boxes and getting paid the money. And I don't blame the staff in these organisations. I blame the owners and the shareholders. The staff have turnover rates of around 40%. They are kept to incredibly tight and highly structured frameworks that they're not allowed to deviate from. These are not systems designed to help people. Of course, Julian Hill, the Labor chair of the committee, has suggested the establishment of Employment Services Australia within the Department of Employment Workplace Relations to actually help people find work, to use the Jobs and Skills Australia regional labour market data and have regional advisory boards of local governments, employers, and service leaders to connect people to employment. Having a regulator, the Employment Services Quality Commission, actually have oversight of how employment services function and make sure they are delivering employment. 
when you're talking about a situation where something like 7% of people get some form of employment out of a com- out of the employment services program that costs nine and a half billion dollars a year, clearly the system isn't working. Having a focus on entry-level job opportunities. Also, having job coaching services, having different levels of support, tailoring, tailoring transition to work, making sure participation is real and actually focused on a jobs plan. One of the big issues people have with the current system is, of course, the Work for the Doll program. I have strongly advocated against the current Work for the Doll arrangements to the point of trying to ensure its abolishment in organiza- at an organisational level and at a policy level. And what's good about this is that it recognises that individual participation and mutuality should not be one-sided. In fact, it goes against the very nature of mutuality to suggest that it is only a burden on one party. Of course, there does need to be some mechanisms to encourage people, to assist people, to give people a plan so that people can access the services they need and that those services should be tailored. They may be counselling services. They may be drug and alcohol services. They may be additional transport needs. They may be training needs. They may be educational needs. What they're unlikely to be is providing people who have a master's degree in CV writing, helping people who have qualifications in, say, social work get experience as a gardener. There is lots of skills matching that can be done based on the individual, based on the labour market in which they live. So much more could be done rather than a simple tick and flick box process. And why? Why have we got the system that we have? Well, as Van points out in her article, there is still a narrative around doll bludgers. There is still a narrative around the wannabe aristocrat who wishes to laze around all day on the public purse playing the lute. And quite frankly, and the lute reference, by the way, is directly from Van's article. I thought that was quite uh, quite cute. We have to break down this mentality because it's not real. And having spending $9.5 billion on a punitive system based on a economic theory that the last three decades has proven does not work is the epitome of waste. And we're not just wasting the money in pursuit of some kind of neoliberal trickle-down fantastical ideology. We're not just wasting $9.5 billion. We're wasting lives. We're wasting the potential of our citizens. We're wasting the opportunity for people to actively participate in our commonwealth. And it is bizarre, bizarre, that at a time when we have such 
huge skill shortages, such need for workers that half a million people have been using this privatised system for over a year. 50,000 have been on the books for 10 years. This is an incredible waste, a waste of money, a waste of time, a waste of people. And to think that we would allow this to continue simply because this is the system that was established, that somehow or another this neoliberal fantasy will come good in the next couple of years, it is absolutely ridiculous. As Van points out in her article, these quote-unquote employment service providers spend 50% of their time not helping people but just facilitating their own operations. The irony, the irony of the current system is that it is essentially a make-work system at a profit for private providers. Regular listeners of the show will have heard Van and I talk about Keynesianism, neo-Keynesianism, and occasionally have heard Van talk about the idea that uh, under a Keynesian model, when you need to create employment, you might have people dig holes and have other people fill them just in order to keep employment ticking over. Well, for the last 30 plus years, in effect, what we've had is a very perverse version of that in the employment services quote unquote market, where you've had nine and a half billion dollars a year going to private providers who are essentially using other Australians as busy work and make work. People come in hopeful of finding work, hopeful of improving their lot in life, only to find themselves trapped in this never-ending circle of forms and box ticking and quote-unquote CV creation, perhaps finding themselves sent off to a work for the doll program for a few weeks, given very little real support, none of the underlying causes of their unemployment, whether they be on a personal level, maybe they have some uh, disabilities, maybe they have some lack of skills or education or training, maybe they have some issues with transportation, maybe they have some drug and alcohol issues. These are all things that at an individual level we could provide support to facilitate people re-entering the workforce. Very, very few individuals find themselves with an employment services provider that will actually do any of that. Why? Because they're not incentivized to do so. These are for-profit private providers. And Julian Hill makes the point that there should be a government policy, government decree, government department overseeing and ensuring that people are connected into employment, into support. Now, Emma Dawson from Per Capita, is the CEO of Per Capita, a good friend of the show, makes the point that 
genuinely mutual mutual obligations meet individual needs with government services. They're tailored programs. They provide education and training, skills matching services, social supports, such as treatment for substance abuse or mental health. Those are the sorts of things that I've just been talking about. That's what mutual obligation should be about, not about applying for jobs that you're not qualified for in order to fill in a diary or tick boxes on a form. There are people who I've spoken to who own small businesses who have advertised for jobs and had dozens of people apply who are not qualified for those jobs, who cannot possibly get those jobs. And when asked why they've applied, they've said because they have to meet their mutual obligation targets. It's a waste of everyone's time. Employers don't want to participate in that system. Van tells the story in her article about a Tasmanian pub so desperate for workers, so desperate for workers, it literally says that they will take people who have a police record, who have a drug habit, who are alcoholics. They're so desperate for workers. This is in a state that has some of the highest unemployment in the country. What are those employment service providers doing? They're not providing employment services. You know, it can be easy to dismiss people who are unemployed. It can be one of those things where you assume it'll never happen to you. Well, it's happened to me. It's happened to my wife. It's happened to my mother. Both of my mothers have had periods of unemployment. And... It is hard. It is hard, grinding, financially breaking, socially isolating. And the idea that we would waste $9.5 billion not providing support, not connecting people to employment, not filling those skills shortages and labour shortages that we actually have but essentially in giving handouts to a made-up industry is very disheartening. And we need to remember, this could happen to anyone at any time. And this safety net, a Commonwealth Employment Service, a properly funded, properly supported, genuinely mutual policy framework, an employment services Australia entity whose job it is to actually get people into employment is fundamental, fundamental to breaking down the tragedy that can be unemployment. And I know people will say things online and there'll be lots of criticism, both of this report and people who are unemployed, And there's lots of good headlines to be made demonising the unemployed, demonising genuine attempts to resolve structural unemployment. But we need to be really, really clear here. I have heard economists say we need more unemployment. I have seen the Reserve Bank minutes that suggest there will be a quote-unquote softening of the labour market, which will be good for the economy. 
What Julian Hill's report demonstrates, what the Labor government's attempts around uh, around the employment policy, around uh, better parental leave, around closing the loopholes, is to recentre employment and the opportunity of employment in our nation's economy and actually saying government has a role to play here, that the neoliberal model where government essentially is responsible for defence, maybe some infrastructure spending, uh, reducing and cutting taxes uh, and punishing those who don't participate in society in the way that the majority of the society wants them to participate, that model is done. That is over with. It had 30, 40 years maybe of run and it has failed. We have massive inequality. We have people locked out of employment, locked out of housing, locked out of financial security. And the big systemic changes, Medicare, superannuation, were eroded during part of that time. Established by Labor, eroded by Howard, eroded by Morrison, eroded by Turnbull, eroded by Abbott. Now, this is a huge step in the right direction. And I know there are some people who have been locked into the privatised, quote-unquote, employment services system who will see the words mutual obligation and they will be reminded of the trauma that they have experienced under the current system. But I urge people to look at the detail. Julian Hill has done a really good chair's summary of the report. It's been quite a long process, this inquiry. And the summary makes it very clear. Van's article makes it very clear. And Emma Dawson makes it very clear. That mutual obligations, as they currently exist will not exist in the future. The work for the doll, as it currently exists, will not exist in the future if Labor is able to get this stuff through Parliament. Because keep in mind, the Liberals have already put in a dissenting report. The Liberal Party, the Coalition, has already said they believe putting everybody on work for the doll, essentially, essentially using some form of punitive system, is the answer. Continuing the punitive system, continuing the outsourced, privatised, for-profit model, which is about ticking boxes and locking people into a cycle of poverty, that's okay. Wasting money, wasting time, wasting people's lives, that's fine. And it brings me back to what I started today's episode talking about. Reform is hard. It is detailed. The work that Labor ministers and committee chairs and policy people are doing is difficult. Often it's not sexy. Often it is highly detailed. And the language around it can be difficult to consume. And sometimes the language around it changes the definitions of what it is. Mutual obligations will continue to exist. What mutual obligations are will change. These points of difference, these points of detail, are much more difficult to sell than simply saying Labor has failed on border security or Labor has failed to address the cost of living. 
It's very easy to attack. And Penny Dutton's not bad at it. But we have to remember, Labor's fixing the mess that Peter Dutton created when he was in charge of border security, when he was in charge of the immigration system. Labor's fixing the mess that was created and made worse, first by Howard and then by Morrison when it comes to employment services. Labor's fixing the mess that Michaelia Cash created of our industrial relations system, which simply ignored the gig economy, ignored labour hire, ignored the fact that casuals were no longer getting a genuine, a genuine uh, 25% loading because of the way companies had structured their arrangements. Labor's having to fix a lot of these things, and he's doing so with a future focus. Julian Hill's work in the Commonwealth Employment Services space is actually quite remarkable, and it will get very little positive mainstream media coverage because it's not sexy to talk about the unemployed. It's not the sort of thing that insiders wants to talk about. Insiders wants to talk about who said what in Parliament, who was slagging off who, was it the right thing to do, you know, does it move the dial? You know what moves the dial? Fixing the structural inequalities that keep people locked in poverty. Having housing policies that allow people to have a home. There's a whole episode I'm sure Van and I will talk about at some stage, the Greens voting with the Coalition to stop the Shared Home Equity Program. One of the things that I like about Labor, and it sounds a bit weird, is that nobody gets everything they want, but everybody gets more than they would under the Coalition, except except for the very wealthiest and the already powerful. And that's the reality. I know the Greens probably voted against the shared equity home ownership policy because they want more investment in public housing. Labor has put in record levels of investment into public and social housing. And of course, it'll never be enough. The Liberals voted against it because the Liberals don't want any form of government-owned housing because they see a political advantage in people being highly mortgaged. Labor governs. This is why we end up voting for Labor governments, because Labor has policy that is about improving life and building our commonwealth. The employment services model is broken. There's almost no one who suggests otherwise, except for the Liberal Party, except for those who benefit from that $9.5 billion. A very small, very small number of people. And yet, undoubtedly, people will attack Labor for not doing enough. And people will attack Labor for doing too much. That generally means Labor's doing the right thing. You know, I want to give a shout out here to a couple of important things that I think we need to think about as we go into the new year. One is the For Every Child campaign. You will have seen uh, 
that the Australian Education Union has been campaigning to lift the number of public schools who get their minimum funding level from 1.3% to 100%. Yes, that's right. Over 98% of public schools do not get their minimum funding level. And also the ACTU and the Union Movement in general have been campaigning on closing the loopholes. Again, there are people who want to completely defund private schools and put all the money into public schools. I get that. I get that. The AAU is saying, let's fund public schools. What you do with private schools is not the same issue. They're different issues. They will be debated, but we have to get our public schools up to minimum standard. There are people who say Labor should abolish Labor hire. It should stop subcontracting altogether. The ACTU is saying we have to close the loopholes. We have to stop the exploitation of people who are in labour hire. We have to stop the exploitation of people who are forced into casual employment. We have to stop the use of gig economy platforms to undermine employment and to underpay people. Stop that. Build upon that. Again, you know, this is pragmatic, good labour movement policy focused on the outcomes that will benefit the most people possible. The vast majority of people send their children to public schools. The vast majority of people are exposed to industries where they could be casualised, they could be uh, replaced with labour hire, they could find themselves in a gig uh, arrangement. Now that it's in the NDIS, now that it's in aged care, it's not just delivery drivers, although we should remember that many of those delivery drivers have given their lives for less than minimum wage to deliver people food. These are broken systems that need fixing. The Labor movement is calling on the Labor Party to help fix them, and the Labor Party is starting to move on some of these issues. That's why I always say, join your union. Go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, because that's how Labor builds policy. How do the Liberals and the Coalition build policy? They essentially go to their vested interests. They go to people who are already benefiting, who are already profitable, who are already making money from the rest of us. Or they listen to an extreme fringe who make up the membership of their party on social issues, on culture war issues. And that's how they develop policy, quite frankly. So you've got to weigh these things up. Join a union, be involved in a process broad process that improves policy over time, that builds on the strengths of our Commonwealth, that lifts more and more people up, a rising tide that will lift all boats, not just the yachts, or a coalition who literally listens to Jenna Reinhart, who literally at one point said the biggest policy issue facing Queensland was there were not enough berths for super yachts. Not enough places where she could dock her super yacht. That's the kind of thing the Liberal Party and the Coalition cares about. Doesn't care about helping people who are unemployed genuinely find work. Doesn't care about fixing our public schools. Doesn't care about closing the loopholes in our industrial relations system. Doesn't care about giving people homes they can live in, they can own part of, they can feel secure in. That's not their concern. So while the noise of the mainstream media will be about 42 individuals 
who had to be released from indefinite detention because of a poorly written law passed while well, Peter Dutton was a cabinet minister. The rest of us need to focus on what really matters, and that is improving our Commonwealth, improving the lives of people, and making sure that no one is left behind so that $9.5 billion a year can be funneled to a very small, very privileged group of people who are enjoying the benefits of privatisation at the cost of the rest of us. That's the wrap for this week. There will be a Senate sitting week next week, so Van and I will hopefully have some more interesting things that have gone on in Ozpol. Who knows? Maybe the Senate will surprise us and actually do something when it comes to housing. Maybe they will pass closing the loopholes, although I doubt it next week. Let's wait and see. Of course, you can get involved in that campaign through the Australian Union's website as well. Don't forget to check out foreverychild.au if you want to make sure that Albo understands the importance of public education. You can send him a postcard there. More than 70,000 postcards have already been sent. Nearly 100,000 people have signed onto the campaign in some way, shape or form. So much we can do together. And we can break the back of this Friedmanite privatisation trickle-down nonsense. Julian Hill has shown us why it's important why it's important that we make our way towards the light on the hill and we keep on keeping on until wednesday remember be kind to yourself and to each other